What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Heaton. As always, you can listen to the pod on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Um, you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates about the podcast. So, uh, happy to be back, everyone, on this uh, Tuesday. I know we uh, usually are with you, with you folks on Monday but because of the holiday yesterday. I figured it was better to um, be with you all today uh, on Tuesday. So uh, before we get going, I would like to say thanks to Eric Bellier for uh, coming on last week. Great conversation about um, Eric's doing uh, play-by-play broadcasting for the uh, Tri-City Valley Cats. It was a really fun uh, conversation. You guys can go check that out um, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, and then this week's Guest Friday, looking forward to it. I know I announced it um, on Sunday that uh, Matt Blue will be back to talk uh, NBA offseason, get into the draft, um, and free agency. Plenty of stuff to get to. Um, so looking forward to that. That will be out on Friday for you guys uh, to listen to. So I think we'll get into it right now. Uh, I think we'll get right into the Red Sox and uh, where they stand at the moment. It was... Uh, Kind of an uneven week uh, for this for this baseball team. You know, I think that the uh, road trip Cleveland, Toronto, and um, Chicago, you know, started off on the right foot. You know, three game sweep against a pretty good Cleveland team. You know, uh, I think Cleveland's a team that you know they'll probably be all right. They'll probably be a decent team, but I think it was a good series for this team, and I think good to feel good against. Um, a team with a winning record. Um, unfortunately, that didn't really continue the rest of the trip as the Red Sox lost uh, two out of three to Toronto and then lost two out of three to um, a bad Cubs team. So really not a whole lot to feel confident about that week. You know, I think especially Toronto, you know, those games are huge. These division games are huge. You know, and the Red Sox are in the middle of these games. You know, obviously it was a nice win uh, yesterday afternoon for the Red Sox who were seemingly out of nowhere are running short, running low on starting pitchers. Um, you know, guys are dropping like flies. You know, Waka had to be scratched from his start yesterday. Uh, Rich Hill hurt himself in his last outing. Um, you know, Evaldi is still out, and he's kind of still a ways away. Uh, Chris Sale's not available yet. You know, it seems like maybe he will make a start for uh, Worcester at some point and may uh, join the Red Sox at some point next week. I think that that might be might be the expectation, but it's like, you know, their, uh, their pitchers or starting pitchers are, are dropping like flies here. And so I think, you know, it was a good outing for Cutter Crawford yesterday, pitched really, really well. Um, you know, Austin Davis, the opener, Red Sox did kind of a, a bullpen game and it worked out really well. Red Sox um, hold the Rays to, you know, five or six hits um, in that game yesterday. So really good outing for um, Crawford and the pitching staff or whoever pitched yesterday. I think it was Davis and then Cutter Crawford and then John Schreiber, um, who's honestly been uh, one of the unsung heroes in the Red Sox bullpen this season. And, you know, a name that kind of has come out of nowhere, but he's been really, really good um, in some of the games that he's pitched. But I think, you know, you look at some of these games that they've lost, you know, games that are winnable. You know, you look at both of the losses – the both both losses to 
both the Cubs and the Blue Jays, you know, games that, you know, the bullpen couldn't hang on to the lead. Um, and they lose both of those games, you know, the 6-5 one in Toronto was, I think, even more frustrating because, you know, you had a, a bullpen that blew the lead. And obviously, you know, you didn't have Tanner Houck available who, you know, chooses to, to not get vaccinated. You know, I've made my thoughts known on that before. I don't really feel like I need to reiterate that, but it's like, you know, you lose a game where your starter, your closer should have been available. Um, but I think it also did highlight that outside of how, you know, you really don't have a lot of people that you can rely on. You know, Hansel Robles has had a really ugly last couple of weeks. You know, he's had a really tough time. And then you have guys like Diekman and Strom, you know, they've had their issues too. Um, but I think it kind of tells you that, yes, they do need more in the bullpen. You know, if they're going to add now or at the trade deadline, they really have to do it um, because they're having a hard time getting key outs in key situations. You know, Hauk has been good as the closer, but it's just like games like that. And then, you know, the 6-5 loss to the Cubs on, I think it was Friday, you know, similar type of game where you had a lead, you know, you had a 4 nothing lead in that game and you couldn't hold it. And I think, you know, you can't be losing games like that to bad teams like the Cubs. And then the Red Sox lost another game to Chicago. You know, they gave it away defensively and it just was like, you know, okay, here are teams that you're expected to beat. And um, the Red Sox in the last couple of games have had a lot of trouble um, hitting with runners on base, which, you know, kind of was something that they were doing really, really well the last couple of weeks. You know, and yes, granted, it was against bad teams, but it's like you can do well against bad teams. You can do poorly against bad teams. That's why I think, like, it kind of is dumb to talk about, like, oh, you know, they just played well against bad teams. Well, it's like, you know, you can play bad against bad teams too, as we saw over the weekend. So it's like, I don't really take a lot of stock into, oh, you know, they were 32 and 12 over their last 44, but they didn't play anyone good. And it's just like, you're playing 162 games on this schedule. Like, what, what are you supposed to do? You know, it's like you beat the teams that are in front of you. It's like, there's really not much else you can do. Um, but I think clearly, you know, with this 14-game stretch that has, you know, started already, the Red Sox really need to do well in this stretch. And I think, you know, it, it's critical. You know, maybe they don't make a lot of noise in the division. I mean, they're 13 games back of first place. You know, the Yankees still continue to play out-of-this-world baseball, so they're not really making a lot of headway there. But it certainly would make you feel better about this team if they can improve upon their 9-16 and 16 American League East record against, you know, that's got to be better. You know, if you're going to be a playoff team, that that has to be better. So it's a big stretch. You know, it was a good start yesterday, but I think they need to start hitting with guys on base and need to start getting more runs in and, you know, not wasting opportunities, which is what they did pretty much the entire series in Chicago where, you know, you won a game based on a throwing error. The other two games you lost, you know, the bullpen lost the lead and then you couldn't get a hit with guys on base. You know, there was that game on Sunday, they won 4-2 in 11 innings, but, you know, they scored two runs on an error. They had like 11 or 12 hits in that game. And it's like, if you're going to have any hope of beating the Yankees in these upcoming games, you have to score runs. You know, the way that they're, the way that they're hitting... 
you're not going to beat them by scoring two or three runs. You have like you have to score six, seven, eight, nine runs to beat this team. So, you know, it's going to be curious to see. You know, we kind of talked about the bullpen and some of the issues that they're having, and you know, as much as certainly I think statistics will show that they have, you know, whatever inordinate number of blown saves. You know, I don't know. To me, blown saves is a weird statistic because I feel like, you know, it should reflect on, like, the ninth inning. You know, I understand that, like, yes, technically it means, like, a blown lead at some point. I don't know exactly what the statistic is, but it's, like, they have 18 of them when, like, a pitcher has blown a lead in the later innings. And it's, like, I guess it really doesn't matter, but it's, like, to me, a blown lead, a blown save is, like, you know, your closer is in in the ninth inning and has a lead and then gives up the lead. Um, I, I know it really doesn't matter. It's just semantics, but it is just kind of like they have a lot of blown saves, but a lot of them are like sixth, seventh, eighth inning. And it's like, to me, that's not really a save opportunity. Um, but again, it doesn't really matter. You know, I think that clearly with or without Hauk, when they were in Toronto, you know, you need more in the bullpen. You know, you need another arm. You need another arm or two you know i think it's good news that when whitlock returns they'll have him back in the bullpen so that gives you another reliable arm but i still think they need someone else there and i think someone else that you can count on to get big outs because you know clearly there are guys like robles who it's really hard to have any confidence in him right now you know i think deekman and strom have had their moments when they've been really good, but they've also had moments when they've been really bad. You know, I think really looking at the bullpen recently, Schreiber's really the only guy that has consistently got guys out and consistently has pitched really well in big moments. So, you know, it's going to be curious to see what happens for the next few weeks. I mean, things are going to get crazy because of all the injuries that you've had. You know, you've had guys kind of dropping out of starts, getting hurt during starts. You know, it's gotten to the point that the Red Sox are calling up uh, Brian Bellow to pitch tomorrow, their top uh, pitching prospect. He's pitched unbelievably well um, in the minors this year in Portland and Worcester. And so he's up to make his major league, major league debut tomorrow night, uh, which would be great to see the stuff that he has. But it's like you kind of wish it hasn't it hadn't come to this point based on the injuries that they've had. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do during the long major league baseball season so i'm curious to see what you see from him um, i believe that nick pavetta is scheduled to start tonight um, although i wasn't totally sure as you know you look in the boston globe and there was nobody scheduled but uh, we do have pavetta pitching tonight uh, against the rays red sox have their second game against tampa bay tonight and then the third game um, on wednesday night with uh, brian bellow making his major league debut uh, pitching against Corey Kluber. So that will be a pretty interesting pitching matchup there. Um, you know, as we mentioned briefly, uh, Whitlock, I think, is kind of close. You know, I think he and Evaldi are scheduled to, like, pitch to hitters next. So, you know, it might be a little bit, but I think that you probably see him back soon um, in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully you can see him before the All-Star break. Um, that would be really helpful. Um, and then Chris Sale, obviously, you know, made a start in uh, Portland last week. I think he's pitching in Worcester this week. Um, and there is a possibility he could join the team as early um, as next week. So, 
you know, obviously that'll be great. I think the Red Sox can can use any starting pitching that they can get at this point. But, you know, you hope that Chris comes back and he is, you know, close to the pitcher that you expect. Um, it's going to be curious to see how they how they approach using him because I think it's, you know, very similar to last year when he came in in, in August or whenever it was and, you know, pitched okay but I think never really got into the rhythm of being like that big time number one starter. So I'm curious to see, you know, what he looks like. You know, I think that this injury is a little bit more, is a little bit different than, you know, Tommy John, that it's not an arm injury. You know, he's coming back from like a fractured, like rib, fractured rib or something like that. So it's like, okay, it's not a throw, it's not an arm injury. So, you know, maybe they approach it differently. So, but I think regardless, it'll be interesting to see what kind of stuff he has uh, whenever he returns. You know, I think the Red Sox are hoping that he can return prior to the All-Star break. Uh, so, as I mentioned, you know, two games against Tampa, and then they got a three-game set, or four-game set, excuse me, coming up against the Yankees, who will come to Fenway starting Thursday night. And then the Red Sox will have uh, three more against the Yankees, so four in total, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. And then they close out the first half of the season with seven games um, in Tampa and then in New York against the Yankees. So that kind of, I think, covers it for uh, the Red Sox pitching. You know, offensively, I think that uh, you'd like for them to hit a little bit more consistently with um, runners in scoring position. You know, I think uh, they're definitely in need of an offensive, like, upgrade at the trade deadline. But... I kind of don't know what like position they're going to focus on because I think you look at first base and I think that, that is kind of the the obvious place. But I do think that for the most part, Franchi Cordero has done a really good job, you know, when he's hitting. You know, I think that offensively he's a better option than Bobby Dahlbeck. You know, Bobby's hit some home runs here and there, but it's just he's never really been able to put it together consistently, you know, minus that stretch last year that he was really good in the second half of the year. But it's like, I just think that you've kind of seen everything you can see from him. And it's like, I don't want to like come down on him, but it's just like, he's not improved in any way. You know, he's still pretty much the same hitter. And I just feel like Cordero, he has shown improvement. You know, he is a, has a lot of hard hit balls this year. And maybe he's not necessarily hitting you know, 300, but it's like, he gives you a better chance. He gives you a better opportunity offensively or better chances to like get on base um, than Dahlbeck does. So, you know, I think that maybe Franchi does leave a little bit to be desired defensively at first base, but I just think it's, it's worthwhile to keep him in the lineup. So I'd be curious to see if they do address first base, if maybe they bring in someone that can, you know, help out. Um, offensively. Um, but I think, you know, you look at the rest of the lineup, you know, maybe it's the outfield with Jackie Bradley, but I do think, you know, Kike Hernandez is coming back soon and Duran's been excellent when he's been playing. So, you know, I think that maybe you could see them addressing something in the outfield, but it's like you have the three big guys, Martinez, Bogarts, Devers, and you have Trevor Story, who, yes, has not been hitting for a high average all year, but He's still driving in driving in runs. You know, he's still hitting home runs. So it's like, 
you know, you have four guys right there, and Verdugo has been playing very well recently. I think he has like a 12 or 13 game hitting streak at the moment. Um, and so he's been great. So I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what they address at the deadline because you do definitely have a need in the bullpen. And I do think that you have a need in the lineup. You know, do you bring in someone that can hit home runs? Can you bring in someone similar to Kyle Schwarber? You know, not saying that they should bring him, bring him in exactly, but someone like that where he can just give you another added element of power. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see if they do choose to address that um, at the trade deadline. You know, I think ideally you bring in a relief pitcher and then you bring in someone else that maybe can play one of the corner outfield spots or uh, first base. So, you know, curious to see what that looks like as we approach the trade deadline. We're about uh, four, about four weeks away. It's not exact, but curious to see how they approach the trade deadline. So I think that's going to be it for the Red Sox. We're going to move on to the Celtics, who have been fairly active in uh, NBA offseason. Did get a free agent edition and a trade edition. So um, I think this was, I think it was on Friday that the Celtics uh, made a move to sign uh, Danilo Gallinari. Now, this is not official. You know, this is, you know, expected that, you know, once the trade. So, yeah, okay, follow me here. It's a little complicated. So the uh, DeJounte Murray trade. Uh, Spurs trading him to Atlanta uh, for a package that I think included a draft pick and some players. Um, Gallinari was included in the trade. So he was traded to San Antonio. And then I think once that move gets completed, the trade, um, which I think all the like transactions become official on the 6th. So that that's tomorrow. So once I think that trade is completed, then Gallinari is expected to be waived by the Spurs, and then he's expected to sign to sign with the Celtics. So it's a little complex, but I think this is all, you know, we, we know that this is going to happen. This is just kind of a, you know, the NBA does this thing where, you know, free agency opens, but they don't, you know, make signings official until a week later. You know, it's something, it's something in the collective bargaining. I'm not sure exactly, but the Celtics do, you know, make a move to sign Gallinari, which I think is a great move. I think that he's someone who, you know, can knock down the three. You know, that's what he's done his entire career. You know, shoot, shoots 38% from three-point land. I think he shot 38, 38% last year. Um, you know, had been over 40% in his three previous stops, Atlanta, obviously, uh, the Thunder, and then the Clippers. So... I really like this addition because I think just off the bench, you know, he's a walking bucket. He's a guy that can get can get easy baskets. He's a guy that I think Jalen or Jason is in the game. They can kick it to him. He can knock down shots. You know, he can create a little bit on his own. You know, the Celtics in the finals especially, I think, really lacked someone that could just kind of be a sniper, you know, that could knock down threes could create for themselves, you know, someone where it's like, could be on the floor and you don't have to worry about how are they going to score. You know, I think that obviously he's not really a, a, as much of a one-on-one -on -one guy, but I think as long as you have a ball handler like Smart or Derek White, 
um, or Brogdon, you know, as we'll talk about. Anytime a ball handler and Gallinari are in the game, he can knock down shots. And I think the Celtics went out and addressed bench scoring because that's exactly what they needed. And I think that that's, you know, tremendous job by Brad Stevens to identify, okay, here is what a need is, and we're going to go out and get this guy. So I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, sure, there are questions about his defense, and that's legitimate, but I do think that, look, not every single player the Celtics are going to bring in, not every single player has to be a great defender. You know, and I don't think that he's a horrible defender necessarily. You know, he's got good size, but I think, you know, he's someone you're bringing off the bench to score. And you're not really asking him to do a whole lot else. And I think that that's fine. You know, and I think as good as the Celtics are defensively, you know, if he's not a, not as good of a defender, it's probably not going to matter that much. You know, if he's on the floor with, you know, Grant Williams, Brogdon, Horford, and like Jalen Brown, you know, does it really matter if he's not a great defender? I mean, sure, you want him to defend a little bit, but I just think with how deep they are defensively, it probably doesn't make too much of a difference that, you know, he's not an all-world defender. You know, he doesn't need to be a all-NBA defensive player. So, you know, I like the signing. You know, his numbers were a little bit down last year um, in terms of scoring, but I think as long as he's knocking down threes at a high percentage, um, that's really all that matters to me, to be perfectly honest. I think, like, it sounds really simple, but that's just really what they needed. Um, and especially in the finals, they needed someone that could score off the bench. So, you know, hopefully you get that with Gallinari. You know, it's rumored that he will sign a two-year deal with a player option for the second year. So signing with that uh, mid-level exception, it's $6.4 million. Um, so he'll, he will play under that and then has a player option for the second season. That's at least what's been reported. And then obviously the other big move, the Celtics trading for uh, Malcolm Brogdon from the Indiana Pacers um, had previously played for the, had previously played for the Bucks as well. Um, you know, as a guy who won Rookie of the Year in 2016-17, uh, was definitely a player that I think has been on the Celtics radar for, for plenty, for, for plenty of years. Um, you know, really talented guy who can slash, get to the basket, you know, can shoot it a little bit. I think his shooting numbers were down a little bit this season. They think he's just a really good, solid offensive player. Um, and he's, he's a plus defender too. He's a really good defensive player too. So I think he fits right into what the Celtics are trying to do. Um, you know, for sure there are there are concerns about his durability, and I think that that's legitimate. You know, he only played in 36 games last year. Um, you know, throughout his career, he's missed a lot of games due to injury. Um, and I think the Celtics are probably expecting that, that, you know, he'll probably miss some games this year. Um, but I think it is interesting that the Celtics, I think, do intend for him to be a bench player and do expect that he's going to be you know, coming off the bench and providing offense. So, you know, that does that means to me that he might not be playing as many minutes um, as he had been maybe previously in his career. Um, I also think that it's a worthwhile trade because 
he didn't really give up very much. You know, in the package that the Celtics gave the Pacers, it was a first-round pick um, in next year's draft, Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice, and then uh, Nick Stauskas, Malik Fitz, and Juwan Morgan. So three guys that were not really rotation players for the Celtics this past year. Um, you know, it's tough to see Neesmith go because I think that I still have faith that he can be a solid NBA player and be a good contributor. You know, he just has to rediscover his shooting stroke. Um, but I think that he does have, you know, the ability to at least be a good, versatile, you know, high-energy defensive player. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough to see him go, but I do think that, you know, the Celtics ultimately trading the pieces that they did, none of those guys were really regular rotation players. You know, yeah, you lose a first-round draft pick, but I think at the end of the day, if you're intending to go deep in the playoffs, that draft pick is in the late 20s, and it's just like the the odds of that player being a huge, hugely impactful player, you know, the chances are not very high. So I really don't have an issue with trading that pick. Um, and I think, you know, if the Celtics can get Brogdon, and maybe he doesn't play as many minutes, maybe he plays in you know, 60-plus games next year. And in the playoffs, you know, it's going to be probably one of the better moves of the NBA offseason. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. You know, there's certainly a connection with him um, and Jalen Brown and Grant Williams as they, I think, are all involved in the uh, Players Association. Uh, Brogdon and Jalen Brown are also from the uh, Atlanta area, so they are familiar with one another. So I really like that. I think that you know, Malcolm's a guy that I think is going to come right in and fit right into the team's culture, you know, do anything that they ask him to do. And I think it's pretty clear based on some of the things he said on social media that um, he really is excited to get, get started with this group and, you know, possibly be part of a championship team. So uh, I really like both moves, you know, really no, really no issues with these moves. You know, I think really... The only thing that maybe goes sour is if Brogdon has some injury issues. But I think, you know, like I said, I would, I'd be curious to see if playing fewer minutes, you know, is something that, that changes. You know, if you look at the minutes that Brogdon's played throughout his career, you know, the last two years, 33 minutes, 34 minutes, 30 minutes the year prior, I don't think he's going to be playing 30 minutes a night for the Celtics. Um but I think does give you another guy who is a good ball handler, but also someone that can, you know, create their own offense too. You know, someone that can drive to the basket, can knock down shots. You know, I think that he can knock down shots at a probably a higher rate than Marcus Smart, but, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they choose to, you know, fit these two new guys in because I think undoubtedly, you know, the Celtics team had a chemistry in the playoffs last year, and they want to make sure that, you know, they integrate these two guys in the best way possible, where, you know, the Celtics don't feel like the chemistry has changed much, but then also, you know, letting these two guys be involved and let them kind of ease into their roles. So I think, you know, honestly, if you can get these two guys healthy and into their roles and buying in, there's no reason to believe that this Celtics team couldn't possibly challenge for 60 wins next year. 
Um, I really think that that's a possibility. You know, if you consider how well they played in the second half of the year, you know, you, you turn that into a full season with these additions, there's a possibility that this team could absolutely be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and be a legitimate championship contender uh, once again. So just some other uh, Celtics news. Uh, the Celtics' top assistant, Will Hardy, has been hired by the Utah Jazz to be their next head coach. Um, so definitely uh, congratulations uh, to Will. I think that did a tremendous job with the Celtics this season. Um, as someone who has worked hard and paid his dues, you know, working with the Spurs and whatnot. So hoping that he, um, you know, makes a big difference in Utah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of pressure on that particular group right now to, you know, win and do better than what they previously had done. You know, obviously, we'll talk about some of the moves in the NBA so far. You know, obviously, Gobert's not there anymore as so he got traded to uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, you know, it seems like the team is going to build around uh, Donovan Mitchell and uh, Will Hardy, the new coach. So I'm curious to see what that looks like uh, for that Utah team. The Celtics also uh, re-signing a couple of their uh, of their own guys. Luke Cornett will come back for the Celtics. I believe that they gave him a two. I think it was like a two-year deal. He was on a two-way deal at at one point last year, I think. But he will be back. Um, and then Sam Hauser uh, was re-signed. Uh, the Celtics showing uh, confidence in him. You know, giving him a three-year deal, um, eighteen million, I believe. So I think. You know, the Celtics really didn't have a lot of cap space. You know, they could only use it with the exceptions and then their own guys that needed new contracts. So I'm curious to see what they see from Hauser. You know, he's a guy who can shoot it. You know, clearly they have confidence in his shooting ability. So I'm curious to see if he can carve out a role for the Celtics next season. Um, and then the Celtics do still have, do still have the uh, traded player exception, which, you know, everyone kind of wanted to talk about a lot. This summer, the Celtics do still have that, but I don't believe that that's something that they are going to use. You know, I think that making an impactful trade they just did with Malcolm Brogdon. So I really don't think that they're going to be doing another kind of major trade because I also think if you're going to make a trade with that exception and bring in a player that's making close to that amount of money, there are assets that you would need to give up. And I just think. The Celtics did kind of get away with not giving up much to the Indiana Pacers. And I just think, like, the other assets that you have are future firsts. You know, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard. And I just think, like, the Celtics are better off, I don't think, are better off not making another major trade. You know, they still do have uh, veteran minimum slots that they can offer to guys, which there is a possibility the Celtics could bring in kind of a I don't want to say a big name because it's not someone who could like be a huge impact player, but I'm wondering if they look at someone who has championship experience, like a Markeith Morris, someone like that, that I think could just be someone that, you know, is just, is just kind of a part, a part of the team, kind of like Haslam for the, for the Heat, you know, someone that can, you know, be there to put, to push. Uh, the core of this team um, and someone who's maybe won before. So I'm curious to see what their thought process is with that. Um, but I think, you know, veteran minimum guys, they're probably not guys that are going to come in and give you, you know, 20 points a game. They're not going to be signing anyone like that. So 
Uh, curious to see how they approach that. Um, and then also the uh, Summer League starts very soon for the Celtics. Uh, Saturday is their first game. Uh, Sam Hauser will be playing in the Summer League, so I think uh, he's one of a couple guys to watch um, for the Summer League this uh, summer. You know, I think that Hauser would be interesting to see what he can do um, and what he could possibly bring to the Celtics next year um, as possibly a rotation player. Um, I think the other uh, recent draft picks will be interesting to watch. J.D. Davison, obviously the uh, Celtics second round pick this year. He will be participating. Curious to see what you see from him. You know, I think honestly, we know that he's a really good defensive player. We know that he's a really explosive athlete, but I'm curious to see if he can develop maybe more offensive skills um, in this in this opportunity in the summer league. I also think the same thing for uh, Juwan Bagarin, who's the Celtics' second-round pick a year ago. Um, he will also be participating, so I'm curious to see, you know, kind of the same things from him. You know, I think that he's a solid, you know, NBA athlete, is really good defensive instincts, but they want to see more of an offensive game from him. So curious to see what he can do. And I do think that, yeah, it's worth watching the summer league just to kind of get an idea about some of these some of these guys um, and kind of where they are in terms of their uh, development. You know, not trying to say that Bagarin or Davison have to be, you know, NBA starters in a year. Um, but I do think it's going to be good, um, good exposure and just good opportunity to get accustomed to the NBA game. Um, because the NBA game is a lot different than, you know, the European game, the college game even. So I'm curious to see uh, what they can do uh, with the opportunity. I think that that probably will do it for the Bruins, or the Celtics, excuse me. Uh, we're going to get to the Bruins. There's uh, plenty of interesting Bruins stuff to get to. Uh, the Bruins did make it official last week, um, hiring Jim Montgomery to be their new head coach. Um, you know, Obviously, we'd heard that he was among one of the uh, finalists or people that the Bruins were interviewing. Um, so I think that this is a great hire. You know, I really think that this is the best possible person that the Bruins could have hired. Um, I just think with NHL experience, you know, experience in other at other levels um, and success at other levels, you know, I think that's important too. You know, success in the NCAA and success in the USHL, I believe too. Um, you know, he was also a former college player um, and won a championship with the University of Maine um, in 1993. So, you know, clearly a coach that's familiar with kind of young talent um, and has good has good success with young talent, but also, you know, someone that's coached in the NHL uh, previously, you know, had coached for two seasons before uh, the Stars fired him in December of 2019 um, because of unprofessional contact. He then uh, received counseling for um, alcohol abuse and checked himself into um, an inpatient residential program. So, you know, clearly I think that it's a great story. You know, and I said this a couple of weeks ago that I think it would make for a great story if the Bruins did hire him because I think he's someone who, you know, clearly has had, had made mistakes, but I think was willing to accept the, the damage that he had done. And I think like, 
I don't know. It just, I think it's just a, it's a great, it's a great move. It's a great opportunity for the Bruins to hire someone like this, who I think is going to fit in really well with some of the younger players that the Bruins are trying to get more out of. So, you know, I think it's the best possible hire. You know, as I said, I think that, you know, sure, it kind of appeared that David Quinn was one of the favorites, although, to be perfectly honest, if you were to ask me point blank, I kind of think that that was a little bit of a smokescreen um, that, you know, and I don't know, I don't really think that the Bruins, like, did that on purpose. I mean, I think that there were just some people outspoken on social media that kind of wanted to make more of a big deal out of that than it should have been. Um, but I do think it's the right hire with Montgomery. I think that it's someone with, without any tires, any ties to the Bruins organization. And I think that that was really important that they get someone who has a fresh voice that, you know, it's not like an old boys club hiring. It's like a kind of a forward thinking hire, you know, maybe it's not the most forward thinking, but I think getting someone who has had success at multiple levels um, and I think has the reputation of being a player's coach, which I think is great, you know, and I think it kind of tells me that, you know, the Bruins kind of said this when they fired Cassidy, that they wanted someone whose message was going to get better, whose, someone's message that was going to get better received by the players um, and perhaps Bruce Cassidy maybe didn't do it the best way, but I do think that this is a great hire and someone who I think can grow with some of the younger players. And I think if the Bruins do choose to kind of do a retool, you know, he's a good, I think he's a good coach for, for that particular um, situation. You know, if they go that route, I don't think they're going to because ownership's never going to allow that, but I do like the hire, and I do think that it's a good time to, you know, bring in some fresh blood. You know, personally, I wouldn't have fired Bruce Cassidy, but I do, you know, kind of understand to a point about the, the message. And, you know, maybe it was wearing thin on some guys, and not that, you know, the players had anything to do with firing the coach. I mean, I think ultimately it was, you know, Sweeney and upper management that chose to fire him. Um, you know, and as Sweeney said, it wasn't, you know, a player-driven decision. Um, and sure, I mean, I think, I don't think it was player-driven, but I also think that, like, players could have, you know, gotten tired of the messaging, you know, but not to the point that they would come out and say, oh, you know, we hate playing for Bruce Cassidy. You know, it would never come to that point, but I do think that maybe the messaging just got stale, you know, and kind of a similar thing as to what happened with Claude Julien when, the Bruins fired him, you know, all those years ago. So, you know, obviously the situation of firing Bruce Cassidy is not, you know, something that was popular, but I do think that they made the right decision in terms of hiring that next coach. So uh, really happy, really excited to see uh, Jim get to get to work with this team. Um, the other big news around the Bruins, and this came out yesterday afternoon, um, Jake DeBrusque, it seems has uh, requested his desire to stay in Boston. Um, as his agent, I think, revealed that his trade request has been rescinded. It sounded like he had spoken to Don Sweeney over the last couple of days. So uh, Jake's back in the fold, which is great. You know, I think that that's really something that I'm excited about. You know, I think uh, he definitely had to go through some, some rough stuff in the last couple of years. And I think that we all wanted him to be able to bounce back, and he honestly did that. 
at times this year, you know, putting up 25 goals, most he's scored in a couple of years. And I think, you know, really seemed to kind of get that love of the game back and, you know, have the ability to be an impact player every single night. And I think I'm, I'm happy to see that he's back. And I also think that, you know, it makes things a little less complex with the off season. I mean, certainly there's still some things that the Bruins are going to have to do, but I think keeping a player like him around, a player that has the potential to score 30 goals a season and, you know, you have him for $4 million for the next two years. You know, I think that you got him on a great bargain, a guy who I think can maybe improve a little bit more with Jim Montgomery as, you know, kind of a more of a player's coach. Um, I know that it's going to be a popular thing on social media for the next few days about, oh, you know, Bruce Cassidy got fired. That's why Jake wants to come back. I do think it's part of the reason. I don't think that it's all of the reason um, that he's returning. I mean, I think you just looked at how well he played last year, and I know that everyone will say, oh, well, you know, he played on the top line, and that's why he played better. And that might be true, but I just think, you know, he's probably in a better place mentally. Um, And sure, the coach has something to do with it, but I don't think it's anything to read into that, like, you know... (laughs) DeBrusque, like, got him fired. Like, I'm not going to pay attention to any of that nonsense. Um, Because as Sweeney said, the firing of Cassidy was not a player-driven decision. I tend to believe that. Um, But it's like, I mean, sure, there's definitely an element that maybe some guys kind of didn't appreciate the messaging and the way that, you know, Bruce Cassidy would publicly criticize guys. But it's like, I think that there are multiple factors with DeBrusque's choosing to stay. Um, I don't think all of it has to do with the coach. So I'm glad that he's back. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Bruins do with him um, in terms of like where to place him in terms of getting the most resu- the best results out of him. Um, I mean, I do think that DeBrusque, you know, and how he performs is really going to be tied to who they bring in as a second line center. You know, do they convince David Krejci to come back? You know, do they sign Nazem Kadri? Do they sign uh, Vincent Trocek? You know, I think Kadri, as much as I think there's been a lot said about him in the last couple of days, I really don't think it's realistic for the Bruins to be able to sign him. Um, and I say that because, you know, Debruska's, you know, made his desire to stay clear. And I just think, that's $4 million that you're not going to be trading away. You know, what other pieces do you really have that you can trade? You know, you have Craig Smith. He's on an expiring deal, as is Mike Riley. Or actually, no, Mike Riley's not on an expiring deal. Craig Smith is. You know, Mike Riley, it kind of seems like he might be the odd man out defensively, but because of the surgeries to McAvoy and to Grizzly, he might need an extra body in Mike Riley. So... I'm curious to see how they approach it, but I think getting back to DeBrusque, he's going to perform better with a center that can be kind of a more rushing center, you know, some a center that prefers to, you know, offensively be kind of a producing opportunities, you know, on the, on the rush, producing opportunities in transition. And I think that, you know, DeBrusque may not do as well with Coyle because Charlie's more of a, and a possession guy and someone who likes to play in the zone 
um, and he's not really as much of a in-transition kind of player. So that's why I'm curious, because I think Jake would do better with someone who plays in transition, you know, who get more opportunities. And it's not to say that, you know, Bergeron only played on the rush, because we all know he's really good in the zone offensively, too. Um, but I think, you know, it, he would probably be better suited to play with someone you know, other than Charlie Coyle, you know, maybe if it's Eric Hall, I don't think they're going to run back the same second line center last year. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. But I just think you think about Kadri, it's like if 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 the starting price is eight million dollars a season, you know, you're at two point three million in space right now. You would have to do some major stuff. Um, and I don't know, maybe you think about moving Charlie Coyle, you know, you could do that, but it's like. He's a pretty good third-line center. You look at the numbers that he had last year, the second-highest point total he's had in his career, um, and the same thing for all of us. So it's like, you know, I don't think it would make sense to trade Coyle. I don't really think any team's going to take going to take Hall. I mean, I guess they could, but it's like there are ways that I guess you can take away cap space, but it's like, you're going to have to get very, very creative. And I just also think Kadri, being the age that he is, he's 31 years old, it's not going to be smart to be giving him, you know, anything more than like a four-year deal. You know, I, I wouldn't give him five years. You're paying him until he's 37. I don't really think that that's a smart thing to do. So, you know, they could look at bringing in someone like Trocek, who I think could come a lot, a lot cheaper. Um, but then again, it's like, He's kind of a guy who has had an injury history, too. So it's kind of going to be curious to see how they approach it. But I think end of the day, I'm glad that Jake DeBrusque is in the fold with the Bruins um, because I really think that if you're going to be without Marchand for a good period of the start of next year, you're going to want all the scoring wingers that you can get. So really pleased that uh, Jake will be staying. Um, some other notes around the Bruins world. They made a couple of announcements about uh, development camp that the Bruins host every year with uh, some of their young like, prospects in the, in, the, um, in the organization. It will be the 15th year that they have hosted the development camp. It will be at Warrior Ice Arena. It will start next Monday through Friday. So there will be uh, different sessions. I think they'll be split up into two groups on one day and then they'll be split up into um, like a full group and then forwards and defensemen so they'll have all types of stuff like that with different drills I've gone a couple of times it is really interesting um, to get to see some of the guys in action uh, it has not been announced who is going to be there although I think that that announcement will probably be coming soon the Bruins also I think announced that they will formally announce uh, Jim Montgomery as head coach also that week, I think it has something to do with uh, an assistant coach. The Bruins um, had let had let Kevin Dean go um, after after the season was over, so they do need to do need to hire a new assistant coach. So that's why I'm thinking that the uh, announcement and then the formal announcement is uh, far is like kind of far apart. I do think it has something to do with that. So I'm curious to see. Um, if that actually is the case. Um, and then the Bruins also announced the preseason schedule for the upcoming season. Uh, they will start on September 24th. 
with a preseason game in Philadelphia, and then the Bruins will host their first preseason game on Tuesday, September 27th, against the Rangers. The Bruins will also play against two games against the Devils. So two games against Philly, two games against the Rangers, two games against the Devils. I believe that the regular season schedule uh, will be announced at some point in the future. I think it might be as early as this week, uh, but definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and then some other um, upcoming kind of Bruins stuff. The um, NHL entry draft will start on Friday in Montreal. Be a two-day event, Friday, Saturday. So um, I think from the Bruins' perspective, it's going to be interesting because uh, they don't have a first-round pick. Um, I think the first pick that they have is 54th overall, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so obviously, without a first-round pick, because of the uh, Hampus Lindholm trade, uh, the first round starts, or actually, I'm sorry, it's Thursday and Friday, July 7th and July 8th. Um, so Thursday night will start at 7 o'clock, will be on ESPN, and then the NHL Network will have rounds 2 through 7 um, next uh, Friday at 11 a.m. So Bruins' first selection is, yes, 54. Bruins obviously traded their first round pick in the Hampus Lindholm trade. So I think going to be curious to see what the kind of draft strategy is going to be for the Bruins. I mean, I think center is a position that they really do need to take a look at. You know, and I'm not saying that the center has to come in next season and be good, but I think the Bruins do kind of have, don't really have a lot of depth organizationally at that position. So I think that that would make sense. You know, left defense is probably something they are going to look at as well. You know, obviously you have Lindholm and you have Grizzlick, but I think, you know, honestly, I think if Grizzlick was not uh, recovering from, from surgery this summer, he could be a possibility that could be traded. Um, you know, Forbert, obviously they have, but he's not a long-term, a long-term guy there. You know, he's only signed for the next two years, so... You know, those are two positions I'm curious if they look at. Um, you know, I also think that as much as the Bruins, the NHL Bruins, are pretty set with what they have in goal, it might make sense to, to get another goalie at some point um, just so you have depth. Um, but I honestly think yeah, those positions, you know, right wing, you probably want to look at too. You know, the Bruins obviously did address that with Lysel last year, um, but I'd be curious to see if they do look into that position as well, because the Bruins, I think, are going to need as many scoring wingers as they can get as, you know, Marchand and Taylor Hall um, get older. Um, so I think that's that will be interesting. You know, I think that center, though, to me, is kind of the number one thing that they need to look at, um, because I think it's the most important position um, on the in, the in the NHL, in my opinion. I mean, I think... The Bruins, you know, really after Bergeron, they really don't have anyone else that you're looking at like, okay, you know, that person is kind of the center of the future. So um, they really do need to address that. I think that above all else, that's the position that they need to address. I'm not necessarily saying that they need to take someone in the second round, but I think you do need to identify someone that you feel really strong about that, you know, can be an NHL player um, in the next couple of years. So I think that's probably it for the Bruins. 
going to get to some quick revolution thoughts before we go anywhere else. I do want to return to the NHL because there are some notes, uh, but first we'll get to the revolution. The Revs with a 2-2 draw against Cincinnati on Sunday night at Gillette. You know, I think uh, at the end of the day, you're probably not going to complain about getting points, but you would like to get three out of a game like that. Uh, the Revs leading led twice in the game um, and allowed Cincinnati to come back and tie both times. You know, the second goal is probably the most frustrating goal that I've seen allowed by the Revolution in a really long time. You know, you have uh, Petrovic after either either he had made a save or, you know, he had gathered the ball, you know, chooses to, you know, pass it into the middle of the field. Tico Rivera turns it over um, and Cincinnati scores. And it just was like, that's the last thing that you need to do as a, goal to, as a goalie to clear the ball in the middle of the field the way that he did. You know, it kind of was rushed. Um, you know, if you look at the replay, Rivera takes a really a heavy touch on that, loses possession, and then Cincinnati scores. Um, you know, it happens, but I think this Revolution team, for some reason, they uh, are have a penchant for dropping points this year. You know, whether it's defensive breakdowns, you know, whether it's big mistakes like that, you know, it just is like they keep giving away points. And I know that at the end of the day, really, is not a huge deal because the Revs are still in playoff position, but it's like you need to be able to get extra points, you know, and that's kind of what's been holding them back this year, that they have had a number of games where they've been leading and then they give up the lead, you know, games that, you know, they take a lead and you feel good and then there's a letdown and it's just is like, you know, this team has had so many games this year where they should have felt good about you know, getting a win, but then they allow a tying goal, and it's just as really frustrating and really demoralizing for a team like this that, you know, you, you think that they're one of the best teams in Major League Soccer, but they haven't really shown it this year. You know, a team that set a record for most points last year, and granted, the Revolution have lost a lot of talent, you know, losing Buxa, losing Matt Turner, losing Tejan Buchanan, but you know, there really is, is no excuse for this team to blow blow leads like this. Um, you know, you got some goals from Barrero and Bo on Sunday, which is great. Um, you know, it's great to see that they're kind of finding chemistry um, in, the, in the forward group because I think, you know, the Revs need to, you know, address the... Or not address, but, like, they need to be able to... Do, to have a plan for, you know, being strong offensively without Buxa, you know, and kind of getting into a rhythm of, you know, okay, he's not here. Who's going to be the player that's going to step up? You know, who who is going to step up with, with him being out? So, you know, I think Barrero has been excellent since he's come over um, to the Revs. You know, I think he's really given them kind of an, a similar element to Tejan Buchanan, just a really good athletic offensive player. Um, I think Barrero's in a better position than Buchanan was to, you know, produce offensively, if that makes sense. Um, but I really like what I've seen from him and Gustavo Bo. Um, the Revolution also making a signing um, to 
I don't want to say replace Adam Buxa, but someone to come in and be, um, like, I guess a replacement, but not in the way that, like, oh, it's the exact same player as Adam Buxa. Um, Giacomo Vrironi coming in from um, a team in the Australian or Austrian uh, Bundesliga and he was I think either had the league lead or tied for the league lead with uh, goals last season so it's a really good signing you know someone who can score goals and I think someone the revolution can feel confident about in the um, attacking third so really excited to see what he can do uh, but the revs you know really have to stop with the defensive breakdowns and you know dropping points especially at home you know nothing wrong with getting a road point but when you have a lead late in the game at home you'd like to hold the lead so you know hopefully they they can kind of figure that out you know it was good to see kessler and farrell together you know as the back two central defenders so you know, hopefully that continues because I really like what they can do um, with that back four, you know, with uh, Farrell and Kessler and then Brandon Bai and Dewan Jones. I really like that that group of four. Um, but I think they can find some chemistry and Vrironi can come in and be a seamless transition. Then I think it makes the team a lot more dangerous, you know, and I think it may not be a seamless transition. It may take him a little bit to to get accustomed to playing in the MLS, but I think that uh, the Revs, you know, really have given themselves a great chance to remain competitive, you know, even after losing some of their best players. You know, I think that that's something that has changed over the last couple of years with this team that, you know, their their own players have played really well. They've gone overseas, but then the Revolution have reinforcements. So I'm excited to see what's next for kind of this, this next wave of the Revolution, but they got to be better uh, and more alert uh, defensively. The Revolution have their next game on Saturday afternoon against NYCFC, same team that knocked them out of the playoffs last year. That is a 1 o'clock start. I believe it's being broadcast on Twitter. So if you are um, on the social media app and on it like an inordinate amount like me, uh, you can go... Uh, watch it there. So it's a one o'clock start. NYCFC, where they play at Yankee Stadium, and it looks like uh, a high school field. Um, see how the Revs do. So I think that is going to do it for the for the Revs. We're going to get into some other stuff. Um, NBA free agency obviously began on uh, the June thirtieth. Free agent period began at six o'clock. Uh, the deals. I don't believe become official until the 6th or the 7th. Um, so all of these deals that I'll talk about here um, are all reported. You know, most likely they will be completed in the next couple of days. Um, so definitely a lot of a good amount of movement. You know, I think that uh, kind of the big trade, you had Memphis and Minnesota, or excuse me, uh, Minnesota and Utah making the trade. Rudy Gobert going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, then the Jazz getting a couple of players, um, including Walker Kessler, who's drafted by the Timberwolves. 
Um, and then they also got a number of first-round picks. So Danny Ainge uh, doing Danny Ainge things again. So um, that was kind of the major kind of trade news. Um, some free agent signings. We'll kind of just go through these teams alphabetically a little bit. The Nets getting Patty Mills to return and Nick Claxton. I'll take a look at the Bulls. Uh, Derek Jones returning on a two-year deal. Um, Andre Drummond, the Bulls signing, and then also signed Goran Dragic. And then they also gave a five-year max deal to Zach Levine, so he will stay. Uh, Cavaliers getting a five-year extension for Darius Garland. Uh, Ricky Rubio will uh, return to Cleveland on a three-year deal. Um, then they also signed Robin Lopez. The Mavericks agreeing to terms with JaVale McGee on a three-year deal. Someone I thought the Celtics may take a look at, but three years, I uh, forget how much money, but I think the Celtics may have been out over, may have been out bid on that. Um, I don't know if they ever showed interest in him, but it would have been someone I would have possibly brought in. Uh, the Nuggets bringing in Bruce Brown on a two-year deal and then giving a five-year extension to uh, Nikola Jokic makes him the highest paid player in NBA history. The uh, Warriors bringing back Kevon Looney and then signing Dante DiVincenzo to a two-year deal. The Clippers agreeing to terms with uh, John Wall after he was, I believe he was bought out by the Rockets. He joins the Clippers. The Lakers adding Lonnie Walker. The Grizzlies giving John Morant a five-year extension. And then the Heat bringing back Victor Oladipo and Dwayne Dedman. The uh, Bucks were pretty active on the free agent front, bringing back Serge Ibaka, Javon Carter, and Wesley Matthews, and Bobby Portis. And then they gave a one-year deal to Joe Ingles. The Timberwolves agreeing to terms with Bryn Forbes, Kyle Anderson, and Torian Prince. And then they signed Carl Anthony Towns to a big extension. The Pelicans gave a big extension to Zion Williamson. The Knicks getting Jalen Brunson for four years, Isaiah Hardenstein for two years. A couple good signings by the Knicks. Philadelphia agreeing to terms with PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker and uh, Daniel House. And the Suns getting Devin Booker to sign for uh, a big extension. Trailblazers bringing, bringing in Gary Payton II re-signing Anthony Simmons and Yusef Nurkic. And then the Raptors bringing in Otto Porter, Bradley Beal getting his five-year extension. So, you know, not really a lot of crazy moves, to be honest. I mean, I think really the Gobert trade, and then as you mentioned, DeJounte Murray going to the Hawks, the Spurs getting a number of first-round picks, um, the Jazz giving Royce O'Neal to the Nets for a first-round pick. So, you know, it's not a lot of huge player movement. You know, I think that, honestly, the biggest news is the, the, the Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, drama, whatever you want to call that. That's kind of the, the biggest news. Um, you know, Kevin Durant requesting a trade. And um, I don't know, you know, good luck to the Nets trying to complete a trade because... You know, Durant making as much money as he does, you know, it makes it very complicated trying to trade him and trying to get, you know, salary back. And, you know, there are a lot of roadblocks. 
you know, Durant listing Miami and Phoenix as two places that he would like to go. But it's just like you look at those two teams, you know, Phoenix, for example, you know, they just re-signed Devin Booker. They're not trading him. You know, they can't trade DeAndre Eaton to the Nets uh, because I believe in the NBA you cannot have two rookie-scale extension players that you traded for. So you could, in theory, have two of those on your team, but you can't trade for two of those, Ben Simmons being the one that they already have. So it wouldn't allow them to trade for DeAndre Ayton and then obviously, you know, Devin Booker. So it's like Durant makes, like, 45 or so million. You know, the Suns would have to send back about that much salary, and I just don't think that that's possible. You know, the Heat, it's a similar situation there. They're not trading Jimmy Butler. You know, Bam Adebayo has the same type of contract as Aiton, so there's no possibility that they get traded. So, you know, obviously there's possibility that Miami maybe trades Kyle Lowry, but it's like, I don't know why the Nets would want to make that trade. You know, Lowry is an older player. He's injury prone, and it's just like, that that wouldn't be good asset management if the Nets brought him in for Kevin Durant. So, you know, I really don't know where he goes. You know, maybe he goes to Toronto. That's been kind of a rumor the last couple of days. You know, maybe the Raptors send back Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, a couple first-round picks. You know, maybe that's possible. But, you know, it's just uh, I'm not really sure where that's going to go, obviously. Uh, Matt Plew and I will probably talk further about that later this week. Um, and then you got the Kyrie Irving thing, which, you know, it sounds like the Lakers are very interested in trading for him, but, you know, the, the Nets would have to trade for Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook, I mean, no disrespect, but it's like, I don't think he's going to make them stay a championship contender. You know, it would make things a lot less complicated if, you know, Durant and Kyrie just, you know, stayed in Brooklyn. You know, because undoubtedly, if they trade both of those guys, they're not going to be championship contenders. You know, it's really just kind of getting the most return as you can get. And I think, you know, yeah, as much as maybe there are people that are thinking the Celtics might still make a trade for Durant, I don't think that they should, and I don't think that they will. I don't think it makes any sense. Um, so it's going to be curious to see where that goes. Um the Nets did agree to terms on a one-year deal with T.J. Warren, um, who's been injured often in the last two years, but was really good in the bubble for the Pacers at a really strong year two, three years ago. So curious to see what he can do, but I think it's really just kind of all eyes on, on Durant and, and Kyrie Irving and, you know, see what happens there. You know, I think uh, it's just, uh, it's interesting. You know, as I said to someone already, like, Durant doesn't have any leverage. You know, he doesn't have any opt-outs. He doesn't have really any, you know, the, the, the Nets have no, the Nets don't have to trade him. You know, and it's just like, I don't know, the, the whole thing is just kind of kind of strange to me. You know, I, I don't really know what changed with Durant and why he all of a sudden wants out of Brooklyn, you know, in, in the first year of his, new contract that he signed two years ago. It's just like, I, I, I just don't really get it, you know, and I don't think any of us will. You know, there's probably some stuff internally that's going on 
that we probably don't know about, but it just seems strange to me that, you know, Durant and Kyrie have barely gotten this, whatever team, super team, whatever you want to call it, they've barely gotten this off the ground. You know, they couldn't even last a full season with James Harden, you know? So it's just, uh, it's a, it's definitely a, a strange situation in Brooklyn, but I'll just tell you, as a Celtics fan, I feel pretty good about the team right now. Um, and I don't think a trade for Kevin Durant is the smart thing to do, you know, and I understand people's thought that, oh my God, it's Kevin Durant. You make your team, you know, the championship contender, but it's like, what are you giving back to the Nets? You're giving back Jalen Brown. You're probably giving back Robert Williams or Marcus Smart. And it makes your team worse defensively. It does. And I just, I don't think that that is the smart or pertinent thing to do if I'm the Celtics. You know, they have worked pretty hard the last couple of years to maintain financial flexibility for the future. And trading for Durant is the exact opposite of that. So I don't think it makes sense for them basketball-wise, and I don't think it makes sense for them financially. I also just don't think Brad Stevens is going to do something like that. You know, I don't think that that's a move that would make the team better. And I think that... At the end of the day, if you're a general manager in, in any sport, the whole goal is to make your team better. Getting Kevin Durant for, you know, Jalen Brown and Rob Williams, let's just say, for example, you're not going to make your team any better. You're just not. You know, and I understand it's Kevin Durant, but he's 34 years old. You're going to be paying him until he's 38. Is it really smart to trade a 25-year-old, you know, star in Jalen Brown? You know, I just, I don't, it doesn't make any sense really in any way. So that's just where I stand on it. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to move on to talking about the NHL. There's been some news recently. The Toronto Maple Leafs just today um, have announced Haley Wickenheiser as their assistant GM. Um, she obviously uh, a legend in women's hockey, um, winning four gold medals with Team Canada. So she will work with Toronto GM Kyle Dubas. I think it's how you say it. Oh my God, I feel like I just butchered his name. Um, but yeah, she, she will work um, in Toronto's front office. So pretty exciting there. Um, the Winnipeg Jets hiring Rick Bonus to be their new head coach. The Red Wings also hiring Derek Lalonde. Um, Rick Bonus obviously was an interim coach in Dallas um, who had took, taken over um, for Jim Montgomery a couple of years ago, led the Stars to the Stanley Cup Final in 2020. So he takes over in Winnipeg, and then Derek Lalonde, an assistant coach for Tampa Bay, uh, taking over in Detroit. So all the uh, head coaching positions have been filled. I do know that uh, San Jose did fire Bob Boner as their um, coach a couple of days ago. They do not have a replacement, but they did name Mike Greer to be uh, GM, making him the first uh, black general manager in the NHL. So uh, really excited for the opportunity for Mike. I think that that's uh, definitely a long time coming uh, for someone like him who had a tremendous NHL playing career um, and I have no doubt will do a great job um, in San Jose. The other day, the Tampa Bay Lightning trading Ryan McDonough to the Predators. Um, kind of a move to shed some salary, but uh, McDonough can still play. So uh, curious to see 
what Nashville can do with him. You know, he's 33, but uh, played really well for Tampa Bay this season. You know, has a great resume, a couple Stanley Cups. Um, you know, one of the one of the best defensemen in the league over the last 10, 10 or so years. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the NHL draft taking place, uh, some of the top names for the draft, uh, Shane Wright is kind of the uh, potential number one pick that uh, might go to the Canadians. Canadians have the first pick. Um, and, you know, really curious to see what direction they go. Juraj Slavkovsky um, is a potential number one pick as well from Finland. Uh, Shane Wright from Canada. So both of those guys, potential number one picks. Uh, Logan Cooley also might be in the mix from the national team development program. There are quite a few guys um, from that program that might be picked in the first round. Um, as we kind of go back and take a look at the order, as I had something open earlier to that effect, um, the Canadians obviously still have, or obviously have the number one pick. Apparently they are undecided as to that number one pick, the top five. New Jersey picking second, Arizona picking third, Seattle fourth, and then Philadelphia fifth. Bruins obviously do not select until the 54th overall in the second round. So I think that will do it for our quick NHL notes. Get into some baseball. Andrew Benintendi may be a name that could be on the move for the Kansas City Royals as we approach the trade deadline. Um, Juan Soto uh, said that he has avoided a major calf injury as he, has hurt, he had hurt his calf a couple of days ago. Uh, Bogarts obviously had to leave the Red Sox game on Sunday with a thigh laceration, but it's not believed that that is going to be serious. So taking a look at the Major League Baseball standings, you know, as we said earlier, the Red Sox are 13 games out of first place, but they sit at 45 and 35. Um, it is funny, we are uh, almost exactly at the midway point of the baseball season. Uh, the Red Sox will play their 81st game tonight so then that will be kind of the official halfway point. But you look at this team right now, 45 and 35, you know, on pace for about 90 wins. So even after the bad start, the Red Sox are on the right track. So 13 games out of first, um, currently in second place, a game and a half ahead of Toronto, um, and then two games ahead of Tampa Bay. The Yankees sit atop the American League at 58 and 22. The Minnesota Twins lead in the Central, 46-37. and 37. They have a three-and-a-half game lead over Cleveland. Uh, Houston, much like the Yankees, running away with their division in the AL West. They are 13-and-a-half games up on Seattle. They are 52-27. and 27. In the National League, the Mets continue to play some good baseball. They sit at 50-and-30, three-and-a-half games up on the Braves. Brewers lead the National League Central by three games over the Cardinals. They are 47-35. Um, then the Dodgers lead the West 50-29, four and a half games ahead of the Padres. As we take a look at the wildcard standings, the Red Sox are in that top position, followed by Toronto and Tampa Bay. Cleveland is two games back of that final wildcard spot. 
in the National League. Atlanta has the number one position, Padres the second, and then the Cardinals the third, with Philadelphia a game back, and San Francisco two games back. So just some other kind of NFL notes. Uh, it was announced this morning that uh, Demarius Thomas did indeed have uh, CTE, so that's just um, really just tragic. He tragically died a couple of couple of months ago, um, you know, and obviously it's, CTE is a real thing, you know, it is something that can take place with, with head injuries, and, you know, that's why it just, dealing with, dealing with concussions is very serious, and I think that, you know, it's just, it's tragic that you've had some players die because of, because of this, and repeated, you know, blows to the head, so, um, you know, I, I I don't know, it's hard for me to really say anything here because it's just really tragic. You know, um, Demarius was a tremendous player, but was a tremendous person too. And it just, you know, there really needs to be, and it really just tells you there really needs to be, you know, continued study, you know, into this because, you know, there are former players that can, can die or, you know, have you know, issues down the road where they, you know, don't remember. So, um, just some other um, NFL news. Terry McLaurin did get a new contract with the Washington Commanders a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then Baker Mayfield and the Browns uh, don't have, or both sides have moved on. Uh, but they obviously have not found a trade as they think he's still recovering from a shoulder injury. So... That's probably going to do it for this week. Um, you know, looking forward to talking to NBA offseason with Matt Plue. You know, we kind of talked um, about some of the free agent signings, but we'll probably get more in-depth with that um, on Guest Friday, talking about the draft, too. I'll take a look at some of the guys that were picked in the first round, what we think kind of for the future for them. Um, then any other future you know, off-season things that may or may not take place. You know, we'll pay attention to the uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant thing in Brooklyn, see if the Nets, you know, make a trade. Be curious to see if that happens between uh, now and Friday. But, uh, yeah, as always, you can listen to the podcast on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, would appreciate, you know, comments or, or reviews or likes or, you know, any of that stuff on, uh, on Apple Podcasts, you can follow on Spotify as well. Um, and you can, uh, you know, tweet at the, at the uh, podcast Twitter page if you have any questions or any comments. You know, you can send a DM to that account and send a DM to my account too. Um, and also, you know, on Facebook, you can uh, reach out there if you have any, um, any, any questions, any comments. You know, I'm always open to any type of any types of comments you know if you guys want to hear more about you know different sports leagues different sports teams you know let me know so um yeah i think that'll that'll do it and we will be back with you guys on guest friday have a good rest of the week everyone